Welcome, everybody, to the Joe Cunningham Show. This is Joe Cunningham here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation or send a message through the KPL app chat. would be happy to, d- to discuss the topics of the day with you on the phone or through the app. And believe me, there are a lot of topics to go through today. Obviously, the big one, Trump has now boarded a plane. He's flying to New York. He will be staying in Trump Tower tonight. He will go to the courthouse in Manhattan tomorrow, probably sometime during Bongino's show. Uh, I believe sometime between 12 and 2 our time, we uh, Donald Trump will be read the indictments. He will be arraigned. He will more than likely not be put in jail. He will uh, be released, probably passport taken. He'll fly back to Mar-a-Lago and hold a campaign rally tomorrow night. But that's not actually where I want to start today. Instead, what I want to do is I want to focus on a story you probably haven't heard a whole lot about today. It was a story that appeared in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. And it hasn't, like I said, hasn't gotten a whole lot of attention, but it should. It should get more attention because it plays into a larger story that is getting some attention today. So please give me a moment to weave a few stories together. But I want to start with this one. This one, I think, is probably the most important story you're not hearing about. From the Wall Street Journal. Japan breaks with U.S. allies, buys Russian oil at prices above cap. Now, the headline's a little bit misleading. Japan didn't break with the U.S. In fact, the U.S. gave permission for Japan to buy Russian oil above the cap. So here's what that means. America, our Western allies, all agreed to put this economic pressure on Russia by basically saying our allies will not be buying any energy from Russia above $60 a barrel. That $60 a barrel cap uh, would, in effect, essentially cripple Russia if we were going to be taking things seriously. That's a big if. Here is the key bit. Japan got the U.S. to agree to the exception, saying it needed to ensure access to Russian energy. The concession shows Japan's reliance on Russia for fossil fuels, which analysts said contributed to a hesitancy in Tokyo to back Ukraine more fully in its war with Russia. While many European countries have reduced their dependence on Russian energy supplies, Japan has stepped up its purchase of Russian natural gas over the past year. Japan is the only group of seven nations to not supply lethal weapons to Ukraine, and Prime Minister Fumio Kishida was the last G7 leader to visit Ukraine after Russia's invasion. Mr. Kishida said that the G7 summit he is hosting this May in his hometown of Hiroshima will demonstrate solidarity with Ukraine. Tokyo has said it is committed to supporting Kyiv and cannot send weapons because of longstanding export restrictions the cabinet has imposed on itself. We will absolutely not allow Russia's outrageous act, and we are imposing strict sanctions on Russia in order to stop Russia's invasion 
as soon as possible, the chief government spokesman Hirokazu Matsuno said. To be fair, Japan is not exactly a major purchaser. It is not a major purchaser of natural gas and oil from Russia. But the whole point of the cap was to economically cripple Russia, to deny them as much money as possible. Russia's export of natural gas and oil bankrolls its military, bankrolls its invasion, and bankrolls a lot of the, of the rest of the Russian economy. Russia doesn't really have a whole lot going for it aside from those energy resources. We can talk all the environmentalism we want. The fact of the matter is Russia doesn't give a damn. And it never has. Same with China. Now, Japan is our probably closest ally in the Far East. The U.S. also has the ability, the capability, to export oil and natural gas to any of our allies. If you want to cripple Russia economically, you make the U.S. a net exporter. And so Japan can get tanker after tanker of liquid natural gas and oil from the U.S. and do so at a cheaper rate than it's getting from Russia. Japan doesn't have to be reliant on Russia. If you really want there to be a way to cripple Russia's economy, the U.S. has to be serious about becoming a net exporter of energy. But the Biden administration isn't going to do that. The Biden administration has bought in to the climate change stuff, to the environmentalism stuff. It has bought in to the far left's devotion to Mother Earth over American interests. Now, this ties in to another story. China is partnering with Brazil to supplant the U.S. dollar as a base for currency. See, a lot of currencies are backed by the dollar. The dollar is a fairly steady source of currency. And that is good for the U.S. economy. But China is now emboldened to try to subvert the U.S. dollar. And so it's partnering with Brazil, with the other BRIC countries, to undermine the U.S. dollar because it will do economic damage to the U.S. China is emboldened to do this because the Biden administration has shown itself to be incredibly weak on foreign policy matters. Just today, we found out that that Chinese spy balloon, yeah, the Chinese could control it. And it did figure eights over specific areas to gather intelligence. And it was relaying that intelligence back to the Chinese. Something the Biden administration said it wasn't doing. 
the Biden administration said that it posed no threat. Well, now we know it was actually there to gather intelligence. Now, again, like I said originally when the Chinese spy balloon story came about, it's not probably getting you a whole lot more intelligence than what your regular spy satellites could, what other technologies could get you. But as a big, giant red flag flying over the U.S., gathering intelligence just to show they can, and the Biden administration did nothing. Today, there is a piece in the Wall Street Journal, and it is... Let me see if I can find that. On, yes, here. On foreign policy, Biden's gut is his guide. That is what the Wall Street Journal writes. And it's written as a way to say Joe Biden is doing a great job. His foreign policy, awesome. He's doing the right thing. Except Joe Biden has famously, as Obama administration officials have said, been wrong on every major foreign policy issues for the last 50 years. If Joe Biden is ignoring aides and experts in favor of his own gut opinion, is it any wonder the U.S. has receded on the world stage in ways that are detrimental to American interests? This goes beyond isolationist nationalism or globalism. This goes beyond the very safety and economic stability of the United States. The Biden administration under Joe Biden is actively undermining U.S. interests and U.S. economic growth by their policies. And it is hurting Americans like you and me. Can you imagine how much better the state of Louisiana would be if our nation was a a net exporter of energy and we were selling our energy to other places around the world. And we were using our energy not only to benefit us economically, but also to hurt our geopolitical enemies like Russia. That would be a huge boon for us. But we're not doing that. We're not focused on that. We're focused on the environmentalism, on saving Mother Earth. We're focused on withdrawing the U.S. from the world stage. We're focused on all of the wrong things, and we're being hurt because of it. But the mainstream media is out there to tell you that Joe Biden is doing a great job on foreign policy. He's following his gut each and every time, and we're getting hurt. 232-1542 if you want to call in or send a message through the KPL app. We'll take this break. We'll be back in just a moment right here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. The Chinese government lied. It said that the spy balloon was really a weather balloon. That simply blew off course. The Chinese controlled the balloon over some of our nation's most sensitive military sites and transferred real-time data back to mainland China. It was equipped with a self-destruct mechanism that could be detonated by Chinese authorities. 
and the Biden administration knew. They knew it was transferring sensitive military data back to mainland China, and they did nothing. They let it fly over the entire country for days after it was discovered by the public. And then once it crossed the opposite coast from which it came, then they shot it down safely over water. The Biden administration is not a serious administration when it comes to our geopolitical foes. I don't want another war. I'm not calling for some neocon war against the Chinese or the Russians. But pragmatically speaking, the U.S. is at its best when it is showing strength. That keeps the world more stable. And instead, what we have is an administration that is constantly projecting weakness. And as a result, Vladimir Putin feels emboldened to invade Ukraine, to arrest a U.S. journalist. Chinese President Xi Jinping feels emboldened to send spy balloons over the U.S. They feel emboldened to undermine the U.S. dollar. They feel emboldened to talk to our allies and get them to, you know, maybe side with them a little bit, like the Saudis. Even Israel has talked to the Chinese and the Russians. The fact of the matter is, the Chinese and the Russians feel bold now. They feel emboldened because the Biden administration has done so very little to show any sort of strength of the U.S. and the U.S. military and U.S. forces, U.S. policy. We have actively taken steps backward. We've actively taken steps away from the world stage, away from showing any sort of dominance. And it's now... Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin's world. Those two are happy to work together to undermine U.S. interests, and Biden is apparently happy to let him do it. All because he's decided to trust his gut and not trust the experts, not trust his own aides, although granted, his aides largely have come from the Obama administration and from Elizabeth Warren. And those folks believe the same thing that Biden does, that the, Amer- that the world is safer when America backs away. Look at the world right now. Does it feel safer? Does it look safer? Does it seem safer to you because of it? Everybody's going to be talking about Trump's indictments, and we're going to talk about that in the next half of the show too. But just as important, if not more important, is the fact that the U.S. is now substantially weaker on the world stage because somebody like Joe Biden is in charge and is doing everything he can to undermine the U.S. globally. Because America itself is a sin in the eyes of the left. 232-1542, we will be back in just a moment or send a message through the KPL app chat, bottom of the hour news and more. Right here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5, KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5, KPL. 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. 
So Trump's impending indictment. We will know tomorrow what he's being indicted for. Right now, it's all very hush-hush. We just know it's happening. We know based on leaks roughly what it's going to be about. We just don't know the specifics yet and won't know for a while. But I, I don't necessarily want to talk about the indictment itself. Instead, I want to talk about something tangential to that. What does it actually mean for Trump's campaign? You know, there's a lot of people talking about, oh, well, this helps Trump. This helps Trump. It, it, it makes more people go to him. I mean, he's already raised $7 million. $7 million isn't that much when you're running a presidential campaign. Now, he has raised $7 million in a very short amount of time. But he's got to raise a lot more to run a massive campaign. And there's polling data that came out from a group called Echelon Insights. And this was before the indictment actually became public, but it is a data point worth noting. Echelon Insights found that Ron DeSantis' support goes up 6% and Trump's support goes down 7%. If Trump gets indicted now, that was before the actual indictment came around. And that's one poll. There's there's lots of evidence out there showing that Trump's momentum is on the rise. He's getting more and more support right now. But is it short term support or is it long term support? Is it people rallying behind Trump because he's being persecuted or is it people rallying behind Trump because they've decided that's the guy they're going for? The, you know, the Alvin Bragg has just proven the Democrats can't be trusted. This is our guy 100% now. Impossible to tell. Anecdotally, I've heard both. But here's the other thing. Trump's money, that $7 million that he's raised, is coming from small-dollar donors. $7 million from small-dollar donors around the country. The donor class is not lining up behind Trump like they did. The evangelicals aren't lining up behind Trump like they did. The evangelicals are looking at people like Mike Pence. The donors are looking at people like Ron DeSantis. DeSantis is in second place behind Trump, but he's anywhere between 16 and 26 points back, depending on what poll you're looking at. But DeSantis hasn't declared that he's running. There's been a series of headlines that have been going around lately about how the donor class is nervous about DeSantis, how they want him to pivot, they think he should pivot, they're not sure if this guy really has the ability to take it national, that sort of thing. There's a super PAC that's that's supporting DeSantis. They've raised $30 million from big donors. Somebody I know on the national scene who has talked to a lot of the big dollar donors in the Republican Party, says they've seen no evidence from donors that they're wary about DeSantis. They have some questions like, can he pivot to something aside the woke stuff? But they're not holding back because they think he's not capable of doing it. There are a lot of donors who are willing to back Ron DeSantis, mostly because they're kind of tired of Trump. Now, the Trump indictment does throw a wrench into things because that does, like I said, rally people around Trump. Trump's numbers are going up. His donations are going up. Trump is riding high on this. If they do take a mugshot tomorrow, guaranteed, 
Anybody who donates $200 is going to get a signed mugshot from Donald Trump. It will be one of the fastest selling items on the internet. But can he sustain that? Can he sustain that newfound support, that reemergence of support in the long term? Because the fact of the matter is the case against Trump is very weak in Manhattan. The Washington Post, like I mentioned on Friday, now the New York Times, William Barr, Jeb Bush, David French, None of these people are pro-Trump people, but they're all saying the same thing. There's something deeply wrong here. Bill Cassidy is saying there's something deeply wrong here. Bill Cassidy voted to impeach Donald Trump. And now he's saying this this investigation, these charges look pretty political. Yes, if somebody commits the crime, absolutely. Everybody should be held to the same standard on that. But is the investigation... Are the indictments, is the case strong enough to convict? Because if it's not, if the case is not strong at all, have they just blown their opportunity to get a conviction on Trump? They will make it that much harder for other agencies to do so. Keep in mind the DOJ over the weekend leaked out that they are looking at some more obstruction charges for the whole Mar-a-Lago raid stuff. They're looking into Trump to see if he gave or took direction from lawyers to obstruct the FBI's investigation at Mar-a-Lago. They're looking at obstruction charges. But now Alvin Bragg has come in and he's put together, he's cobbled together this extremely weak case. And that can set all the other investigations back because then it looks like just pettiness. Well, they couldn't get him on this. We're going to try this one. Alvin Bragg may have screwed the pooch on this one, to be frank. Alvin Bragg may have hurt the G- the DOJ on that. Now, the DOJ, again, if Trump absolutely did commit a crime, you know, everybody held to the same standard. That's all I've ever wanted. We know they're not always held to the same standard. But here we are. If this if these charges come and go, I mean Trump's Trump's legal team is saying they're already planning to file motions to dismiss. I mean, if these charges come and go and there's no conviction and the DOJ doesn't indict Trump on obstruction, where does Trump's momentum go? Does Trump have the ability to maintain this level of support, to maintain this high level of small dollar donations if the legal stuff goes away? Because that's been his rallying cry so far. There's something else to this too. This is the weekend before the indictment. We just had a weekend before his indictment. And Trump didn't hold any rallies. He didn't do any speeches. Nothing like that. He stayed quiet this weekend. He released statements, posted things on Truth Social, but he didn't have any on-video appearances or in-rally appearances. Does Trump follow a script at his rally at Mar-a-Lago tomorrow? 
Because remember, he gets charged, he gets arraigned, he then leaves, and he goes back to Mar-a-Lago for a rally. Does he have a script? Does he stick to it? Or does he refuse to, as a pair of lawyers on Twitter famously said, shut the F up, except they didn't say F. And does Trump speak his mind? Because that can cause more legal problems. Did his team keep him from doing anything this weekend because of the uh, the impending legal issue? Because whether these are serious charges or not, whether or not this is a major deal or not, the fact of the matter is, Every lawyer lawyer will tell you to shut up. Trump is incapable of doing that. Is his team fighting to make him do that at every moment to prevent him saying something that will land him in more hot water? And then there's this. Behind all of this, the rest of the GOP primary is still forming up. Nikki Haley has made some inroads. She's now fighting for the cause of women who are against allowing trans women to compete in women's spaces. Sports, taking women's spots for awards that are meant for women, things like that. A lot of women, particularly suburban women, are speaking out against it, and they are finding a champion in Nikki Haley. Add to that, Tim Scott has hired some really, really good uh, political consultants in South Carolina. He's building up his presidential team. Ron DeSantis has made some moves on his staff that are pretty interesting. He has pulled a lot of good consultants from Virginia. The rest of the field is shaping up, and Donald Trump is currently distracted with his own legal issues while the other candidates can go out and say what they want to and stay on message. Donald Trump is having to play defense against an overzealous prosecutor, but still play defense nonetheless. At this time in 2008, Rudy Giuliani was way ahead in the polls, where Donald Trump is right now. By the time the primaries were over, John McCain was the last one standing. Rudy Giuliani was nowhere to be seen. Is the legal stuff causing Trump to peak too early? There's a lot of questions that are currently going on about this, and everybody's focused on the legal stuff. And for the Republican Party, this is just as much about the primary in 2024 as it is anything else. Because the Republican Party has to make sure that they have the options to go forward should Trump falter or if Trump should succeed. What does the donor class do? What do the voters do? What does the party leadership do? There's a whole lot of questions surrounding all this that the Republican Party has to deal with from a political angle, not just the legal angle. 232-1542, if you want to be part of the conversation or send a message to the KPL app chat, Let's take this final break. When we come back, of course, your calls, messages, and some more of the news of the day right here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. I would be remiss if I did not mention a stellar, stellar Women's National Championship game yesterday with the LSU Tigers taking away the national championship. Although it was a stellar game, 
there's some controversy surrounding it. The officiating was bad on both sides. I saw a lot of people hating LSU because, you know, they won. There were some some calls that went LSU's way that shouldn't have, but there were some calls that went Iowa's way that shouldn't have either. And the fact of the matter is, despite all that, LSU came away the stronger team. Uh, they were able to put Iowa in foul trouble. They were able to uh, they were able to overcome the fact that Cassie Clark is a freaking assassin from the floor. I mean, opens up the game with damn near a half point three, uh, half court three, just to assert her dominance. Now, the other controversy that's surrounding it is the you don't see me thing that Clark has been known to do for a while now, and Angel Reese did it to her face uh, last night, and people were calling it classless and everything like that, but it's classless both ways. And at the same time, it's perfectly expected and fine. These are athletes competing for one of the top honors that a team can get in sports. They are going to be competitive. They are going to be emotional. They are going to get excited and perhaps make one too many hand gestures. But the fact is, both of both teams played phenomenally. It's just that LSU played even more phenomenally. The real winner, of course, was Kim Mulkey's designers. Stellar, stellar performance all through. <laughs> all through the uh, tournament. But I mean, it was just a uh, it was a stellar game to watch yesterday, and kudos to the LSU Tigers for picking up that win, bringing home the biggest honor in women's uh, collegiate basketball. Before we go, one more political story for you: centrist Democrats hatch secret plan to head off debt ceiling calamity. The White House and Democrat Party leaders, however, are distancing themselves from the effort. Centrist Democrats in the House and in the Senate are mad at the Biden administration. Actually, to be fair, progressives are also mad at the Biden administration. The Biden White House just is not very good at communicating with its colleagues, its fellow party members in the House and the Senate. And centrist Democrats are tired of the posturing by the White House, and they are working behind the scenes with Republicans to try to come to a deal on the debt ceiling. The Democratic Party leaders and the White House and the media are all attacking the uh, Republicans for not backing down on what they want to do. They're attacking the Republicans as being extreme on the debt ceiling to risk financial crisis in the country, this, that, and the other. Well, there's a problem with all of that. The Biden White House has worked with the media to shape this narrative. If the Democrats are so concerned, I mean, if the media is so concerned with the Republicans doing what they're doing, it's because the Republicans don't care what the media thinks anymore. The media has worked so hard to alienate Republicans, the media stopped caring. And so they're going to do whatever it is they plan to do policy-wise, whatever will make their base happy, because damned if you do, damned if you don't, When the where the reporters are concerned. So now the Republicans are emboldened to just stay the course, because the media has already shown they're never going to be kind to Republicans. And you could see a debt ceiling deal that actually favors the Republican Party come out of it. All right, that's it for me. You guys 
Stay safe out there. 23 hours until I come back. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Email Joe at redstate.com. You can find the podcast version of the show at joecunninghamshow.substack.com. I'll be back soon. In the meantime, Shannon is offsides with Caleb Morse, the Rustic Renegade, here in studio, right here on News Talk 96.5 KPEL.